you, you can bring your goals towards your nearsighted and start building small micro goals that help give you the foundation and the platform to achieve your larger goal. What are my physical limiters to performance? And I'd probably start to try and list some of them down. How you adapt and how you bounce back will determine what the true capability and the likely outcome might be. So. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. Did you listen to the last episode about desires? It's one that I feel certainly needed some more thought and we'll probably touch on that today. We are recording a few of these episodes in a row, so we haven't released that episode before we're talking again here today. So it'll be interesting to hear some feedback about that over the next few days. So rather than get myself too bogged down in thinking about desires versus choosing to set goals, the plan today is to move on from there. What do you do next when you know what you want to achieve? How do you best manage that initial spark and burst of energy that always comes when you initially take on a new challenge? And how could you think about harnessing that energy to take you all the way rather than get fed up at the first sign of trouble on your journey? Please give us a shout out on social media if you're enjoying these conversations. It helps a lot to keep us motivated to do more and it helps to shape the content plans for future episodes. So without further ado, here is the next episode of the Pylon Ultra pod. How you doing? It was nice to chat the other day. I ended up thinking about it uh, a number of times when I was out running especially and I'm not entirely sure I nailed it. Uh, but one thing I was able to clarify in my own mind at least was um, my initial hesitation uh, to accept that desires were fundamentally a good thing or an essential thing and that they could in fact become much more of an obstacle. So the only way I could make it clearer in my mind was to consider what the alternative was. And I think we touched on it, but maybe I wasn't too clear uh, with what I was saying. Um, and desire for me is just, it's just like an initial response to a feeling or an emotion. And it's natural, I guess, but it does come attached, or at least in the space, as some of those other unpleasant feelings that we talked about, like greed, selfishness and envy and stuff. But the biggest realisation was that it's totally passive. I think desires are are passive right the emotion that feeling of desire ultimately then controls you rather than you being in control of what you want to achieve if you like and instead of just being carried along by these desires you choose instead to set some goals because then you're actively making a choice and you're in control and you kind of have to accept that the work is going to be required in order for you to get close to reaching that goal and when you do that, you're kind of not getting in your own way. You've given yourself a wee bit more freedom and you've consciously chosen to fulfill a certain want rather than just being blindly run by these unconscious programs and conditioning and belief systems. For example, I, I don't think Steve Jobs was driven by desires to be the richest man in the world. I think he likely set himself some goals to make, I don't know, make technology products that would change the world, if you like. So... I guess that's where I was I was getting to when I was out in my run and I was thinking about it and there there is a distinct difference for me certainly between desires and choosing to set a goal and I just wondered what you thought about that. It's a it's a really good point and you've obviously put some deep thought into that and as as usual most of the people who listen to this they end up some sort of me and you back and forth um, 
changing yeah. our minds, you know, multiple times about certain subjects. And I, I was a bit the same myself. And actually, just how you framed that up, even in this moment, it sparked a thought with me about the point about, you know, some desires are material and some da- desires are maybe more moral, i.e. I want to make technology easier and more accessible for all in, in mm-hmm. the, the, the sense of Steve Jobs. But put into the hands of a corporate um, infrastructure and machine, it becomes a way to become super rich and to become, in the case of Apple, you know, they've got a bigger GDP than, you know, quite a lot of countries in its own yeah. right. So that desire to free technology for everyone in itself can then have a downstream, secondary, tertiary, harmful effect by how it's then applied in society within the world. I know that's quite an extreme example because most of our people will be thinking, my desire is to get a goblet for finishing the West Highland Way. But the, the, the point is, is there can also be second and tertiary impacts to our desires to people in and around us or things in and around us as well and i i agree with you i, I i'm not sure i'm i'm not sure i'm clear on where i've settled in all of this because mm-hmm. i hadn't really thought about desires as something good bad evil brilliant or anything i was kind of indifferent and the word you use there i think is really true desires are quite passive and then they're gateways to yeah. secondary activity. Like you said, the goals which drive the actions, which hopefully take us towards the outcomes, which for, for whatever intrinsic or extrinsic reason we're motivated by. So I'm still I'm still working out myself. I'm sure many people who are listening are. But I think what you just said there about desires being passive is true, but they're also platforms um, and gateways for us to then maybe take the, the subsequent actions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe you need both effectively and and desires aren't all bad but um i think they can become all consuming maybe um or they can be an excuse to not do very much to because it's easy to say i mean you you flippantly said it last time about oh i want to be a millionaire or something not you you were you weren't necessarily talking about yourself but it's like we could all say those things but we don't act actually set some goals to take us towards that unless we really care about it and and we take that step from a desire into an active choice to do something about it. And do you think though there, Paul, then, so that, that when, when you think about that then, just framing that millionaire one, I, you know, I wouldn't reject it if somebody offered me a million pounds yeah. a day. Yeah. And, and if anyone's listening who wants to test this, phone <laughs> me. You know, mm-hmm. slide into my DMs and let me know. But I'm not driven by anything to become that. I'm not at all costs want to become a millionaire. And I think that I think that's exactly, I guess, the point you're making in the sense that if if that was some sort of absolute burning desire that that you know basically scripted my actions in my life, I think that would be really harmful because I would miss out on so much other rich experiences mm-hmm. as a result because I'd be in pursuit of the coin as opposed to remembering to live. And that's I think that's what I meant by that. But the, yeah. the, the 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 point is is just because it's not something you you desire in that respect doesn't mean it's not something you would accept. I'm just not actively pursuing that with a vigour over it um, things that I think are more important in my life. So, it's, it, and it's back to that point. I'm not really sure where I sit on it because I haven't worked it out and I don't know where the line between, you know, act, maybe maybe that is a line, that the line between active desire and passive desire and then acting on those desires to create, you know, outcomes, actions, activities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, James, I forgot to say hello to you. Hello. Hello, Paul. It's, it's because we're speaking twice in such close proximity. Usually you've grown a beard, shaved the beard, grown a beard by the time we talk. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. So That's yeah. A kind of the time between podcasts. But these are going to be out um, uh, week on week, I think, for a while anyway. Oh, yeah. So we're going to try and 
keep this momentum going. Um, so I was thinking about where we next want to take this conversation. Um, and then I was thinking it'd be good to talk about the next steps on that journey, um, especially with some race places being confirmed in the last couple of weeks for anybody who's been had their name in a lottery or anything to try and get onto a race that you really want to do. Um, so I was thinking if you're really clear and you've actively chosen a goal, let's say, for example, it's a race finish or it's a particular time for a race that you really care about, how do you go about working towards that goal without putting a lot of energy and time in the wrong places? Now, I see it a lot in athletes. They get the race spot they really wanted and all of a sudden they found an extra five hours of training time in a week that they didn't have before. Um, but more often than not, that energy dissipates before the peak training phase. The race doesn't seem all that exciting anymore and actually it can become a bit of a drag for some people. That opportunity perhaps presented by the universe in order for you to be where you need to be to go and smash that goal has become a bit of a weight around the neck and maybe other desires crop up in other places that take us even further away from that initial goal that was very clear in your mind at that time. Um, So what would be your next steps and how can people use the clarity of their goals to better plan their progress towards them? It's it's a it's a really 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 good question and it's quite complex and in, in, mm. in intricacies that sit underneath it. But break it down, James. Quite, break it down. Yeah, break it. I feel like I should wrap now. However, you, ha- break however it down. you want yeah. to. Yeah, exactly. No, no one needs to hear that. Um, so, mm. but the intricacies that sit underneath it are are quite deep and quite varied. But there's also a really really high level of simplicity to it, right? Um, and we were talking just before we started recording um, about <clears throat> someone has a goal. They then say, let's just use the example of the West Highland Way race, which many of our re- readers or our listeners will be able to relate to, or Western States or Hard Rock or any of those other big lottery events that have just happened. And then you have a goal to get into the race, and then there becomes a realisation and a reality check about what it takes to achieve that, which can be overwhelming because all of a sudden you start to think, I've got to get over 100 miles within a certain time under certain conditions, and right now I'm nowhere near the level of fitness, capability, mental strength or whatever to get there. And because you look at where you are and you look at your destination, and in the case of a race, it can actually be you know quite literal start point, end point, but actually in the case of training for these events, it's, you know, it's your, your, you know, your build, your... You, you know, your base, your build, your peak, your taper, to use a kind of classic um, training cycle, when you realise that that's going to take week-on-week effort and consistency and a focus always on that North Star, it can be overwhelming. And when your goal is something that's quite far off and well away from your current level of talent, capability, readiness, that overwhelm can create two things. It can create a sense of futility where you go, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what I do, I can't get there. So you end up kind of, you, you end up starting off um, already already kind of partially disengaged from what it will take to get there. Or it can create the second thing, which is just as this, just as dangerous as that sense of overwhelming fatality, which is, to use a, a kind of metaphor, you throw all the coal you've got on the fire in the first few weeks, and then all that energy and all that you know fuel burns out, and you realise there's still a long way to go. And what yeah. you were saying before we come on about, I think the drop from that, fire that you burn early so you you know you go i've got a west island way race and you try and do a 100 mile week this week as a result the drop from that can be quite precipitous it can be actually a much bigger drop than not even being able to get off to a start because actually it's better when you've got that long-term goal to have a slow consistent you know 
slow, consistent, kind of like, like a baddie in a horror film march towards your destination. You know, you never stop. You just keep going and going and going. And you, you build that kind of resilience and strength that, you know, get you there so that you're ready for the start line. But actually, if you start off with enthusiasm, vigor and vim, and then you lose that energy, regaining it can be really, really difficult because you probably feel like you've burnt some time. So, but to, to back to that kind of simplicity of it all, it's actually about, you then look at that goal, you look at it quite far off and you start to compartmentalise it into micro goals, effectively things you can do in moments and in the short term, which all build towards that. And if you think about your goal as being like a the top of a Lego building and really what you're trying to do is put each block in place day after day, week after week, month after month, that gives you the foundation on which to put the roof of your goal on. And I think a lot of people forget that to achieve a big goal, those building blocks and those foundations and those steps are the hard yards, but the absolute necessary steps in order to make that goal achievable and a success. So that's when I, mean, I say it's simple. So if I just break that down again a wee bit, is, is you don't start off with high energy because that, that might burn out and you'll not be able to sustain that. But also you don't allow yourself to be overwhelmed by the scale of what you're trying to do and to end up with a sense of futility and disengagement. You, you can bring your goals towards your nearsighted and start building small micro goals that help give you the foundation and the platform to achieve your larger goal. And there's ways you can do that, but that that would be my generic advice to that. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Um, like it's it's great when athletes are energized, you know, and sometimes it's a, it's a bit of a spark, and it's a great thing. I got in that race. I really want to get into, and and there's a whole load of energy released there, which is great. But there's definitely I I see some burnout quite quickly from that. There's definitely something you can channel that in a better way. And what I was thinking. Along the same ideas of these micro goals, right, and and we all understand that I think I would hope, um, and these layers you've got to build these layers in order to um, create a foundation that's safe enough and and take you to the top of the top of the tree so you can reach your goals or whatever. But um, one thing I think is quite important to maybe talk about is it's fine to say let's set these micro goals. People people don't know what these goals are, right? So one recommendation I would have is to um, before you go all in, I'm going to train as hard as I can, I'm going to read every book I can, I'm going to have the best kit, I'm going to have a physio, I'm going to go for a massage, I'm going to do everything that I can to to give me the best possible chance, I'm going to throw everything at it, is actually taking a step back and um, really try to consider what your performance limiters might be for you at your race. So not the race, people will go into that and think, right, it's West Ham, wait, I know what miles I have to do and, and I'm going to look up See if I can find out anything about when James ran the West Highland Way and what his training was like, and I'm going to do that. Your performance limiters on the West Highland Way would be different from mine, would be different from somebody else's, right? So I think that's a really useful thing for people to do. And by performance limiters, I probably mean breaking it down and thinking about things like, well, what are my physical limiters to performance? And I'd probably start to try and list some of them down. So these would be areas that... Um, are maybe going to hold you back in the race, right? So if it's a race with, I don't know, with a lot of descent, for example, um, it's going to put a lot of pressure and damage into your quad. So that might be something that's going to hold you back in the race. And if you know what that limiter is, you can maybe do something about that in your training um, and maybe do some strength exercises that are right for that. Or, um, or it might just be something like, well, I know when I get above 40 miles, it feels like my body's starting to break down or something. So that might give you a clue to say, I really need to work on my endurance and I maybe need to 
up the frequency that I'm doing in terms of uh, training sessions or I maybe need to think about some back-to-backs or something because that's going to give me some confidence and it's going to allow me to feel like I'm still pushing on after I've been tired or after a 40-mile period or whatever. And then you could think about things separately, like uh, the mental side of things. So get really specific about that. Um, what are the things that you really struggle with or are likely to struggle with in that race that you're going to do? Um, is it, I'm not very good at dealing with any problems or setbacks that might crop up in the race, because I saw that in the last race that I did and I kind of fell apart and I, my head went down because something, my crew didn't turn up or I didn't have the right footwear or whatever. Um, are you able to... I don't know, maybe when people start to pass you and you start to slow in the second half of the race, maybe that really affects you mentally and gets you down. So there's something you could do about that. And then maybe it's just you have a problem with finishing races when you start to get tired and you start to get bored. So these are things that you can work on. These are limiters that might hold you back from having the performance that you want to have in that race. And then there's other categories you could think about. You could think about kit, you could think about environmental stuff. So is it going to be cold? How are you going to deal with the cold? Have you got the right kit there? Are you scared of the dark? Some people really don't like running in the dark and they've never run in the dark, but they'll sign up to a race. It starts at one o'clock in the morning. How are you going to deal with that? And then things like how are you going to deal with running in the heat? If you're going to run Western States 100, what are you going to do? What can you actively do to stop that limiting your performance or or reduce that chance of that happening? And have you got the right types of kit with you if the weather changes? All those kind of things. And I think if you take the time to try and work out what your own biggest limiters are, you'll be able to tick some of those off. So as you said, Jim, like the Lego bricks, you'll be able to stick that in the wall and go, well, that, that one's sorted. Because some of them are easy. Some of them are just like, well, I'm going to make sure I've got the right kit and I've tested it out and I've tried it in training and that works. They're easy. Other things you can work on. So it might be, it feels like I should do some strength training or it feels like I need to uh, do some more back-to-backs or, or try running twice a day and stuff like that as well. So, um, yeah. I, th- I think I think harnessing that energy is really important and maybe channeling it in the right ways is going to help in terms of um, the best outcome. Yeah, 100%, and, and, and in particular in that channeling thing. And then the flip of this, Paul, there's a couple of things. Is I think there's also performance inhibitors, if you like, um, and what you can commit to in terms of time and yeah. you know travel, recce's, all that kind of good stuff that w- will either help you or, or hinder you. But then the flip of that would be there's performance enablers because you started tripping over into that to go, well, you know what? There's performance enablers as well that say, mm-hmm. well, if I'm not so great in the downhills, I'm going to have to take them easier, but I'm really strong in it up, so I'm going to work on my strength. So as mm-hmm. well as recognising the things that might be weaknesses and putting interventions and plans in place and then working on them, like, as, you, as you say, like with the, the kind of micro goals, like one of my micro goals is to be able to run descents harder. Okay, cool, we'll build that in. Um, the, the other thing would be is, is then how do I build on my strengths and take advantage of that? And that came to mind when you were just describing that. One of the, the, the girls I coach, she's brilliant, but she's in the fling and she's already been out to do a double lock side because she's really worried about the lock side. And after mm-hmm. it, she was, she was quite negative about how she felt about it, not in a was me type way she's just i just don't really enjoy that it's really difficult and for people who don't know the lockside are listening it's just a gnarly technical bit of the west highland way that goes for remind me paul five miles maybe five yeah, miles like yeah yeah um, and and i was pointing out to her says but you're really strong in the other 90 percent of that route because it's 50 mile 53 mile race so, so instead of having a whole bunch of negative energy 
thinking about that five mile section where you might lose five minutes on the field. Think about the 10, 15, 20 minutes you could gain in the sections where your strength comes into your own, you know, you're really strong ascending, you're really strong descending. And I think sometimes when it comes to goals, back to that futility thing, we can get fixated on the wrong things that cause yeah. us to do the the wrong interventions, right? Uh-huh. And, and people want to do everything as well. And that's why I was trying to stress that it has to be specific to you and specific to that race. Because if you ask if you ask any fairly committed athlete and you say, well, what was, what's the most important th- thing for you in training? Whatever they say, well, I want to get faster. I want to be able to run up hills better. I want to be able to run down hills better. I want to be faster at 5K. I want to be able to run longer. It's like... <laughs> people want everything but actually you can spend your time working on the things that's going to give you the biggest return and and those aren't always like you said they aren't always your weaker area actually sometimes it's better to work on the, the areas that you're already very strong on and just accept that um, I'm not going to be it's like you get some great examples with triathletes you know there's some that are totally natural at swimming they've been swimming since they were four or five years old and and that's fine right and somebody coming to swimming later on maybe in their 20s they'd maybe paddled a bit for the time that would be required in order for them to be super competent on their swimming they'd be better spending that time you know being stronger on the bike and stronger in the run and it's not always i wouldn't automatically go to your weak areas and it's not always the best use of time i don't think any, I think, I think any good football and running, any coach in any, any um, circle will tell you that as well. You may want, as a personal challenge, though, to yeah. do something that takes on your weaknesses. You know, I mean, there was a few years ago. I remember you telling the story a few years ago. Um, it's less about weaknesses, but it's also about the kind of diversity this sport brings. When you were coaching Debbie, um, and in one hand she was running, I think it was two thousand seventeen. She was running. 24-hour world champs on the flat, and then she had UTMB a couple of months later, and you're having to pivot from that. And there's also a bit about accepting that sometimes the decisions you make can affect the outcomes that you then have to basically put down as your goals. Because if you make a decision to do, do what Debbie done, and she's obviously an exceptional athlete, really adaptable and really agile across multiple disciplines within the sport. But if actually you're a fast, flat runner, who's going to do very little hill training, who, who's going to go to UTMB, you better not think you're going to have the same performance as someone who's a really strong hill runner. So you need to recalibrate your goals in accordance with what your capability and capacity and commitment is going to give you. Yeah, by the same token, you have to, like you said, you have to adapt to the time that you have available or what you have on your doorstep. You know, there's been some very successful athletes uh, Casey Lightig is a good example at Western States. She lives somewhere that's totally flat. So she had to adapt and she probably did a lot of interval work instead of doing loads of hill reps for the canyons at Western States. And she went yeah. on and, and, and had a great performance there, obviously. Um, so, yeah, it's it's about actually looking at what's important for you as an individual and not just taking, well, there's somebody's training, I'm going to copy their training, or that's what I should be doing for that race, instead of thinking, well, where am I strong and what is going to hold me back in terms of having a good performance on that day? And, and you make a good point there, Paul, as well, is, is there isn't a single set of rules, because we talked about, if we use that kind of Lego, but um, building metaphor again, there's bricks. the bricks that you can put into your foundations can be different sizes, different colours, different shapes, different lens <clears throat> and they're your bricks and they, they, they will de- they will determine the foundations you have but they're ultimately yours 
So they, they, we use that example of Debbie. There's a, a, another guy, a coach, who can't do a long run more than three hours. He just doesn't have the time. You know, he's, he's time poor, lots of work, lots of family commitments. But he's doing a 100 miler in May and he's already done 100k and an 80, 80 odd miler this year on really difficult terrain because we have to adapt his training to get the most out of it, whether it be how we use his time through the week to double up or, you know, yeah. um, do an extra focus on speed or strength. But you can adapt, but also he's aware as a result, he's not going to be winning any of these races. And we, we talked really openly about how it might feel like a real suffer fest for him in the last quarter because he's just going to a place his body's never been before. So we talked a lot about how he manages early effort and how he, how he basically how he get perspective on those goals as a result of what he was able to commit to in terms of his investment and the, the readiness for them. And I think having a really open conversation like that helped him with those experiences because instead of there being some sort of dread about a, a, an unknown, which he was just really making up in his mind because he'd never been there before, he went in going, you know what, this suffering or this challenge is, is that I, this is what I've signed up for and, and what I've prepared for. And he, he embraced the challenge from a position of positively owning where his capability was as opposed to kind of kidding himself on and then finding himself in a deep, dark place for a long time. Okay, so James, uh, you've been quite clear on choosing a goal. You've tried to harness some of that early energy because you're going to be doing an event that you really care about and you want to do. And maybe you've looked at some of these performance limiters. So you've got a bit of a plan in place. This is what I'm going to try and achieve. Maybe I've set some clear micro goals um, and this is how I'm going to work towards this goal. So how, how do you really deal with setbacks along the way? So maybe you get an injury that you, you, you're you going to get over, but it's maybe been a critical time in your training. When this happens, most people don't really consider reassessing their initial goal. It's like, it's why I'm here and it's why I've worked so hard and that's all that matters, rather than perhaps thinking, well, I have to accept the situation. It wasn't in my plan, but I can set a new challenge that will still be incredible for me to complete, right? But in order to do that, you can't really engage those external pressures and, and that's quite difficult to do because you've maybe set an intention to say I'm going to run under 20 hours for a West Highland Way or whatever um, and it's <laughs> people find it difficult to then say well I had six weeks off training because of whatever and um, they still want to push ahead with that initial goal and they worry about what people will think maybe so I'm interested to have a chat about how you've maybe dealt with some setbacks along the way and, and what you would maybe do or what you would suggest to some athletes who are maybe having some setbacks, be it an injury or they've got a busy period in their life and they just can't they commit the hours. You know, they used to train 15 hours a week and now they can only train eight. How can how can people deal with those setbacks along the way? I think the first the first thing is is that setbacks are almost inevitable. Um, how you adapt and how you bounce back will determine what the true capability and the likely outcome might be. So in the context of a race, like say for example, setback is I couldn't setback is, is I couldn't do my any intervals this week because the weather was that bad. I couldn't I couldn't get out there. Mm -hmm. You know, we would we would we as coaches would adapt the training plan and go, well actually to all intents and purposes what you've ended up with is a deload week because it wasn't their intention, but what it means is, is we'll reshape the, the, the plan ahead so you can recover that setback. So some setbacks are recoverable um, because they're not terminal in the sense that I haven't lost something. What I've had to do is adapt and change and, and move towards that. And that can happen in an event. Um, 
in in the actual event in 2018 I think it was when I was in Romania running the 24 hour world champs the, we, before the race the weather forecast was 30 odd degrees with 90% humidity and we're like need to change the plans there's no way we're going to go out at the pace we intended um, and, and be able to manage the nutrition the way we did because we're going to need more etc etc so you, you, you adapted and also at that point we, I went in personally and with a revised plan, which was less than intended. Than I, than I had ambition and set as a goal beforehand. So you have to, you have to provide a plan and an intent to the the team. So I had to do that, and and it's a bit about one is is sometimes setbacks are terminal, and you need to be able to recognise that, and and then two, you need to actually be able to leave your ego at the door when that setback starts to happen, and that's really hard, Paul, because I think a lot of the times we're spurred to maybe do. Um, not the not the next best action because of what the external mm-hmm. view that might be. It's like, oh, you've talked all year about running sub-20 in the West Highland Way or you've talked all year about doing a 24-hour race and, or 100 miles in under 24 hours and look at you, you're struggling to do that. But no, no one knows the full story about how you've got to that point except you. And if you allow others to control that narrative, they then start to control your actions. So you have to kind of take control of the narrative and go, well, actually, I'm going to recalibrate here and I'm going to do it without ego and I'm going to do it with intelligence. But I, I personally think that sometimes the best thing an athlete or an individual, whether that goal's in a race goal or whether it's a career goal or a life goal, is to seek the input of others. Um, so whether it's a trusted friend, someone who's experienced and has been through this before, or just someone who they know will help bring them towards a, 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 a non-ego-led insight that will help them make a decision about the next the next best action or the recalibration of their goals because you can get lost in your own head once you set a goal um like t- especially time-based goals it can destroy you and you see it happening in races you know people go out they say they say they're going oh, i want to run a sub three hour marathon they do the first 10 miles their heart rate's sky high they're already pegging but they still try to keep going at that pace and they get to 16 and they blow up and they don't even finish the race it mm-hmm. takes a it takes a stronger ego to go. This is not my day, but I'm going to make the best of it I can. Than someone to just kind of plug away and hope for the best. So I think external input and leaving your ego at the door, and then being willing to recalibrate what you thought was possible based on the new insight and information you have, is essential. Has to be the right kind of input though, doesn't it? Because oh, yes. it, it it's quite a it's quite a specialist sport, I guess, and and that's where some kind of support network is beneficial. I guess because we all know we can have conversations with partners or family or mums and dads or whatever and they don't quite get it when you say I've been training for this race forever and I've hurt my ankle and you'll generally get a response that's designed to protect you rather than maybe giving you the information that you need and maybe that's the importance of having some kind of support network around you that that understands what that feels like. And and it has to be a fine line Paul between encouraging you like a happy clapper who's like yeah you can do it man just you crack on um and someone who'll who will protect you but uh, you're absolutely right in in this particular sport the last thing you need is is like you know someone sees you coming in you look a bit peaky you've been sick on the trail you know we've all been there and their immediate answer is you know to start putting negative thought in your head right you should pull that's that's not where you need to be that's not a great place what you need that what you need from them is is solutions and insight that help you recalibrate not to help you stop sometimes the right thing is to pull and that's where you might be into more professional help i.e it's an injury and you've got a physio basically having a look at it for you 
but you're you're absolutely right, <clears throat> and that that's why I think when you that insight should come from people either with experience, or understanding, or who've been there themselves. So when they're giving you insight, it's either based on past experience, a story they've heard or or, or seen, or things that they read or know. Um, especially especially in this particular sport because. There are times when your recalibration is happening moment by moment, mile by mile. Yeah. But if you get hung up, again, if you get hung up on some sort of unachievable goal that was either unachievable at the outset because you went in you went in with a lack of insight to make the right decision about how you wanted to start or the fact that you've, you've had the realisation that's actually unachievable, you've not changed your behaviour or your, your approach because that's a one-way ticket to suffering, right? Or, or failure. Yeah. I think that that leads quite nicely on to, and even your example about the Romania thing, uh, Romania race, um, onto acceptance and overcoming resistance to change or resistance to changing your own mind. Um, and I think it's such a huge topic and has a potential for all of us to live better lives. Um, I think resistance is probably the enemy of acceptance and vice versa. Resistance to a situation or circumstance it kind of locks the energy in place. It stops any kind of momentum, evolution, and any kind of expansion. But when you can accept where you are and what's happening, there's a lot more energy to play with, I think. And that doesn't mean just... I don't mean by that just giving up on anything and everything and accepting whatever is thrown at you. But it does mean accepting the things that go wrong or the things that don't go to the plan that you had created in your mind already and choosing to make your, your next best move as you said um, and it's often one that you didn't really expect you were going to have to make so there's been loads written about resistance in the last few years like things like procrastination and perfectionism are being some quite topical parts of resistance in some ways um, and there's a belief that resistance manifests itself in people in two different ways right so the first being attachment so that's about grasping at things and circumstances that you think are going to make you happy so that race goal, that even though you've been injured for six weeks in peak training, is a good example. And the second is aversion. So it's just pushing away everyone and everything you think is causing you unhappiness and suffering. And that's maybe pulling out of the race, even though you could finish it okay. Or maybe even a DNF in a race because you're not going to reach the outcome that you'd set up in your mind and you believe you should be experiencing. Do you think, do you think I'm making a bigger deal about resistance than is needed and how can people maybe work on this when they're planning ahead to events so even in training resistance pops up every day for most people James but we, we, we probably don't talk about it enough about how people how athletes or how anybody can accept the resistance that's there and accept those feelings and then take some kind of positive action to move them on from there. So, like, a, a simple example, resistance we face every morning when it's your alarm goes off at 6 o'clock and you don't want to go out your training run, it's rotten outside, or it's icy, or it's wet, and you think, I could have another hour in bed here, or I could get out and do it. So how how do you help people to accept that those are normal feelings, that resistance is, is a good thing, and how how do you step, off, step on from resistance? So... Maybe persistence is the antidote to resistance. I don't know. Um, in the sense mm -hmm. that, you know, they, they, they kind of push and pull at each other, right? And, <clears throat> I mean, resistance can come from a number of different things. And the, the examples you've just talked about, it could be physical or mental fatigue, you know, that idea of pulling the cover over. Or it might be that early energy you've got 
burnt away and you need some sort of other reconnection with them. And, and, and you end up with some sort of fatigue just with, you know, the goal is too far away or, it's, you know, it's the, the, there isn't enough nearsighted um, reason in order to push through that resistance. I think resistance in our society is everywhere. It is, it is all around us. And, and in, in, in my view, outside of things that are physically things that we cannot that we cannot, you know, legislate for. Like, you know, if you, if you break your leg, it's okay not to train tomorrow. You know, there's there's no debate about that. There's not even a debate to have a conversation about it. I think resistance is something that we can invite in. Now, we might invite it in by the fact that we might not have been honest with ourselves about the time we've got to commit and train to. We might invite it in by the fact that our eyes are bigger than our belly in terms of our ambitions and, and you know, what we're prepared to do in order mm -hmm. to um, achieve what we want to. And those are two very different things because we might overestimate our capability to train in terms of the time that we have, but we might also overestimate our ambition. And I think that really goes back to that initial point you were making around the desires and stuff. Because yeah. we might overestimate in early days because our desire's high, but as that desire begins to wane, for whatever reason, the connection to the goal and the ambition just loses a wee bit of edge. That's, I think, when we start to invite resistance in. And resistance can take the form of excuses, reasons not to... Or it could genuinely be environmental factors like um, third-party influence, like friends and family who need your help or what have you. So the resistance actually manifests itself in a certain way. And I, and I say often, Paul, you can do anything you want. We, and that's maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but if you take the principle that most of our goals and ambitions, so long as they're realistic, you know, using the old kind of smart way of um you know building goals where you know you're kind of in that place where you've made them specific measurable yeah, achievable yeah. relevant and time bound which you know has been doing rounds for years if most of our goals are fall into that category then the chances are we could achieve them but the also it's very likely that we'll need to sacrifice something else in order to do that and that might be other hobbies it might be drinking it might be eating the pizza it might be you know that hour in bed you've talked about and those other things i think would manifest as resistance so i don't think you're making a big deal about it i think there's a recognition that there's resistance which is third party resistance that we cannot control but i would say the vast majority of resistance we face can be influenced and controlled by us so long as we either proactively recognize it or reactively deal with it. So when the alarm goes off and you go, I don't want to get up, that's a reactive dealing with it, yeah? Um, a proactive way of dealing with it is, is to do your runs in the evening because you're struggling to get up in the morning, uh, as an example. I think it's exhausting for people when they're constantly in that state of fighting or pushing against the resistance, you know, be it either they're too attached to a certain outcome or they're actively pushing other people or other things away because things aren't going the way they wanted them to in the first place and it, it is it's an exhausting cycle of ups and downs isn't it and if you can get to a point where you're better at um, accepting uh, and training and your racing and work when situations don't go uh, the way that you had planned in your mind then you you tend to free up a lot more energy and I think you make better decisions and you're going to choose goals that are really aligned to you and to what really matters to you internally not what matters externally um, yeah it's an interesting one I, I think I think resistance is such a big topic James that maybe 
maybe we could talk more about that in the next episode potentially I think I said way back in season 2 we'd probably do um, something around that but it's, I don't think it's something that we talk enough about and we, we just try to bury those feelings instead of actually accepting the feelings and finding ways like you suggested like maybe morning running isn't isn't for me and that's okay um, and maybe that would be useful for people who are on a training cycle and in that constant up and down of fighting against yourself sometimes that's what it feels like and sometimes it's it, it can be really hard right because people can be resistant to feedback so take take for example let's just say we'll use an example of this um fictional athlete this fictional athlete over the last eight weeks and this is genuinely fictional in case anyone's listening to this and is, is he talking about me this <laughs> fictional athlete over the last eight weeks has um struggled to complete their weekly training plan each week and the pattern that starts to come out is as we see them dropping their intervals on a Tuesday because there's some excuse about weather or illness or something like that. But what we start to see coming through is, is a pattern of not completing their intervals and maybe missing a run um, on an odd occasion each day that week. And then the feedback might be is, is you know, and, and, and really direct feedback that I don't think would help anyone is, is accusatory feedback where it come, becomes emotional when we're going to go, this isn't good enough, you're missing that. Whereas I think, that, that then creates a, a, a chain of resistance because there's something causing resistance for them to complete. You then come in, say, as a coach or a, a feedback loop to challenge that, but in a way that's um, accusatory rather than supporting. So that individual becomes more defensive about the, the situation when actually mm -hmm. this is all again about insight and feedback and that loop and bringing that into place as a coach or as an athlete or as an individual. We just go, I wonder if there's something at play here that's causing that resistance to manifest. And then you have the yeah. conversation and that individual's maybe got familial problems, work issues, challenges that say, you know what, for me, my running my running template for the week would be better to have two rest days and two double days rather than six days, uh, six full days and one double day because actually having two long lives each week just helps me mentally. It gives me something to look forward to. It means that I can push through the resistance that's manifesting when I have to push for five or six days in a trot. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think conversation helps bring out. And back to that point, Paul, about using external external agencies, whether it be people or others in terms of, you know, reading or what have you, to really grow your knowledge and help you make smarter decisions. Because you know what? It's kind of human to have mm -hmm. bouts of peak motivation and reduced motivation. What isn't great is, is if you don't recognise those cycles and put in place some, you know, strategies to help you smooth them out a wee bit. Yeah, I guess it's just encouraging people to be a bit more open and a bit more willing to to look a bit deeper. Because actually, when you were talking there about that example, I had the perfect example that it's a classic runner thing, isn't it? That's that's about attachment. So you get a well committed athlete who's been training on their own for years and years, whatever. They get attached to, I should be running a hundred miles a week, right? And it's happened. We've seen it with tens of tens of athletes, and that's why I should be running. Whether or not that's the right thing for them, they think it's the thing that's going to make them happy ultimately. So it is an attachment, and it's about how they are seen by other people. And when they have conversations with other runners, they go, "Yeah, yeah, it was another hundred mile week, or maybe it was a fifty mile week, or whatever." Uh, the number itself doesn't really matter. Um, but those things are ultimately an attachment, and and they become very important to us, but they're not aligned 
to the clear goal that you should have set out when you signed up for that race initially. And I guess we all we are all guilty of that attachment in some ways. And I guess even outside of running, we get attached to how people will respond to uh, the words that we choose and the conversations that we have and the kind of house that we have and the kind of car that we drive and how many followers you've got on Instagram. And I know we'll all say we don't really care about that stuff, but I think I think we all get attached to that and it forms some level of resistance that holds us back ultimately. Yeah, you, you know what? You, you make a really good point because those are potential external agencies that can support and motivate in one hand, but can also be... They can drive maybe the destructive and wrong behaviour in the other. And there's a balance between that. It's it's that balance between cheerleading no matter what. So they, they, you know, it's like, yeah, you can jump off this building and land on your feet. Yeah, that kind of thing. Versus yeah. actually co- caution and support and being part of the solution. Um, and and it, th- there's definitely a balance to be struck by all of that because every agency can be positive or negative if it's not used in, in, the, in a manner that helps you achieve or drive to the right outcome or the next best action for you. And sometimes the next best, ash, next best action can sometimes be not to rather than to keep doing. And and yeah. I think sometimes, it, it, like we, we talk about this a lot, the whole, everything we talk about ends up being, it's always ends up somewhere in between because there's individualization, there's personalization. But the thing that flows through all of those types of conversations that we, we end up having is, is it's putting thought and insight and intelligence into the, the, the actions you undertake and making sure that they're appropriate for you, the individual, as opposed to the group of people who, who operate in the same, whether it's workplace as you, running place as you, life place as you, because you're different. Yeah, yeah. Shall we finish it there, James? How was that for you? Well, it was lovely. It was really nice to speak to you <laughs> twice twice in, um, in such a short space of time, and, and, it, and it really feels we're starting to delve into a lot of important stuff here, and linking it right back to the things that's really important to the people who listen to this podcast which is how you perform and connect with your athlete life so it's really good yeah i could talk about this particular subject for a long time and maybe i don't know i don't know what your thoughts are in terms of where we'll go next in this conversation we'll try and maybe get another recording done next week so if you've got any thoughts at the moment absolutely yeah. uh, uh, absolutely and as as we get these out to people in the community I think I would really, really, really like to throw out to anyone who's listening is, is we are not world-renowned experts in all of these matters. We're just really sharing our thoughts and our experience and our learning through whatever we've done. Um, and every time someone contacts us or shares ideas or challenges or even builds on the insights and thoughts, we're all learning and growing together. And that's that's the whole idea of what we're trying to achieve here with these podcasts, right? Is, is We're not here to give you answers to every problem or even the things that we discuss we're here to stimulate thought and growth and if nothing else that's what's happening to me every time we chat paul so i'm really grateful for it yeah i couldn't agree more james it's, it's like we've we've made all these mistakes we continue to make these mistakes i'm not immune to resistance and not want to do my training and all those kind of things and maybe doing races that i shouldn't be doing and all that stuff so um the i guess the the benefit that we've got is that we've been doing it for quite a long time so if if you're uh, open to it and open to some 
looking at yourself effectively then you can start to work on those things and then the benefit is that I can see it now in all the athletes I've, I've worked with I can spot the signs quite quickly so um, it does give you a good understanding of where people are making mistakes and, and where they could really benefit if they were able to be a bit more self-aware Absolutely Till the next time then eh? So before I go, uh, I think we spend way too much time in attachment. Attachment could be how we are seen by other people, how people respond to us when we are talking, and how it matters so much to us when someone asks us what we do for a living. We all have some kind of rehearsed response to that, I know we do. We get attached to how cool our car or house is, the shoes we wear, running shoes included, how wonderful your kids are, how many people like our photos on Instagram. I know we'll all deny that, but I suspect we all know roughly how many followers we have and if we lost half of them, we'd probably notice that overnight and we'd care about it. We get attached to race achievements. They become part of our story and the story we tell to others. And we spend time in aversion too, pushing things away that you think aren't fitting for you and your reality. We heavily criticise our own bodies, for example, if we only had thinner legs, stronger legs. If only that was different, then I would be happy. And if I had more money, I'd be able to work less and train more, and then I could be my best self. These are exhausting ups and downs for all of us. And this is where acceptance and training in racing, work, life and family can really free up energy to make better decisions and choose goals that are truly aligned to you and your inner self. And I'll leave you with a quote. Every experience, no matter how challenging or difficult to embrace, is gently guiding you towards your highest expression, no matter how you see it in your limited perspective. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and you'll tune in again soon. Speak to you later. Cheers. Uh, what do we normally say at the end? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Paul Giblin. And I'm James Stewart. And you've been listening to the Pylon Ultra Pod. Yay. Boom.